Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. You can be seated and pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. I would confess that without you, it's just sounds, but with you, there's, there's life that comes from your Word and your truth and You choose means. You choose to work through us, through me. So have your way today in our hearts and in our lives, Jesus. May we have uh, holy moments. May we have thoughts that are led by you. And make us, use us as your hands and your feet in this world. And we'll say thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I just thought the parables through the summer would be a great thing to check out. The nice thing about summer messages, a lot of people go on vacation, so they almost have to all be standalones, right, as opposed to somewhat connected. So we're going to be looking at some of these parables of Jesus. And one thing that kind of describes many of the parables is they're subversive. You're like, what? Subversive parables? Yeah, they, they're, they're trying to get in through the back door. Check out what this uh, scholar said. He said, direct communication is important for conveying information, but learning is more than information intake, especially if the learner is someone who already thinks that they understand. People entrenched in their current understanding set their defenses against direct communication and end up conforming the message into the channels of their current understanding of reality. But indirect communication finds a way through the back window to confront a person's view of reality. A parable's ultimate aim is to draw in the listener, to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience, to move to action. Jesus' parables are prophetic. They're prophetic instruments used to get God's people to stop, to reconsider their way of viewing reality and to change their behavior. I don't know, early in our marriage, my wife, uh, she, she used a parable on me. So I was in sales. And she said, you know, honey, when, when you make an appointment with your customers, are you late? I go, I try not to be. I try to be right on time. And she says, you know, it probably, they probably don't like it, right, if you come in late. No, they do not like it. I try to be, you know, on time. She goes, how come when you tell me you'll be home at 6.30 and you get home at 7, you don't think anything of it? <laughs> so what I learned to do with my customers and my wife, I'll be home between... <laughs> Right. You know, the Bible is full of parables. You guys remember David and David, the the giant killer, but he also had really a big uh, sin in his life. I mean, massive. He's he's got tons of wives, which we don't even get in our culture, you know, how how you can have just so many wives. But, But one day he's out when the kings normally go out to battle and he's looking out the window and I guess he sees the neighbor bathing. And he's like, hey, bring her to me. And they sleep together, and she conceives. And now he's like, what am I going to do? Her husband was at war. How could she have conceived? He tries to scheme to get her husband home, and it just doesn't work. And what does he do to solve his problem? Hey, put the husband near the battlefront and then have everybody pulled back from him so he's killed. So he kills her husband. And he's thinking, 
well, it wasn't good, but, you know, I'm over it, and, you know, it's just one life, and, you know, and, he, and, he, and he's, he continues to live his life. And then God whispers into the ear of a prophet to tell David a story about a little lamb. And the story goes like this. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said, There were two men in one city, one a rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought, brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now, you remember David's first job? What was he? <clears throat> a shepherd, right? When they come to anoint him as king, they're like, all the boys are here. Don't, and the prophet's like, don't you have another one? Oh, yeah, that little runt of a guy out in the field with the sheep. David knew exactly what it was like to love a baby sheep a baby lamb. And it says, now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man, for the man who had come to him. So what does David do? He interrupts Nathan's story and says, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die, right? You kill the lamb and he's going to take a life for it? I mean, David's angry. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And what happens? This is the parable. Could he have come and done a frontal assault? Maybe. But all of a sudden, he turns the story on its head and goes, it's you, Dave. It's you. It's you. And it, it, you are that man. And all of a sudden, it, like, he, he sees everything differently. I, I remember years ago, parenting isn't for cowards, by the way. And, and I was uh, having some parenting uh, difficulties. And I remember internally, I'm just kind of griping to God. And this voice from outside of me comes into my situation and flips the script. I understand how you feel because I'm your father. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, and you could complain a lot more about me than I ever could about. See, parables have that way of just flipping the story, giving you a different insight into your life, into your world, and changing you kind of through the back door. So I want to look at a parable today, which is Luke 7. And it goes like this. Now, the Pharisee had requested him to dine with him. So Jesus is invited over the Pharisee's house. And he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Sometimes they say she's a prostitute. Sometimes they say she doesn't. But something about her said sinner. And, and, and there was this woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house... She brought an alabaster vial of perfume, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head, kissing his feet, anointing them with perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, 
that she's a sinner. Now, it's interesting. You and I, we have a concept of Pharisee, right? You've been brought up in the church. You hear the word. And maybe you think of a song like this. When, when I was a camp counselor, we used to teach this song. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. I just want to be a sheep. Bah. I just want to be a sheep. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> we did sing that. And, uh, and I was thinking, to us, Pharisees kind of get a bad rap, but in that day, those people, I don't think they had all these kind of negative feelings towards Pharisees. You see, in that context, you had these two religious groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And one religious group, they were uh, more of the upper echelon, the Sadducees, right? They were the wealthy, they were the, the you know, the... They, they were the cut above, the priestly people. And then you had the Pharisees, which were the common, common righteous religious people. And there was a difference. Pharisee meant to be separated. And it could be separated from the Gentiles. It could be separated from all the, like, keeping all the rules correctly. Or it could be separated from the non-religious Jewish people. You know, Pharisees are separated. And this whole movement was not a bad movement because if you remember, the Israelites went into exile because they didn't keep the law. So you had this whole movement of kind of a conservative, we are going to be righteous movement. And the, the Pharisees were part of it. But they separated themselves, and they separated themselves even from Jesus. Look what's said about Jesus. Jesus said, you know, you say the Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look, he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we read that and go, oh, how horrible they are. But moms and dads, who do you tell your kids to hang out with? Like, Johnny, make sure you hang out with the drunkards, okay? Because you want to have a good influence on them, don't you? Right? You know, like, like, we can judge them, but there's a part of us that's like, no, I do not want my kids hanging out with those people, right? So, so I think the Pharisees, many times they get a, a bad rap because we don't see it from their perspective. The Pharisees had this word, they said, a learned, like, mamzer takes precedent over an ignorant priest. Now, this is interesting. So they're saying, basically, if you study and you're a nobody, but not just a nobody, like an illegitimate child, and one scholar said, no, it's even worse than an illegitimate child. This is somebody born of incest. Somebody born of a situation where the parents could never, ever marry. They're saying somebody who we would typically judge, if they are learned, if they're schooled in the things of God, they're better than a high priest who's stupid. And all the common people would go, yes, I, there's hope for me. I can be better than those like hoity-toity high priests. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had two different ways of interpreting Scripture, right? The high priest read an eye for an eye, and they said, you know, if, if John punches me and I lose an eye, then John has to lose an eye too. But the Pharisees said, wait, what good is that going to do? Let's give a value to an eye, right? And let's just make them pay the money of an eye value back to the person who lost an eye. And the common people are like, yes, I'd much rather get money than see somebody else lose an eye. And, and so there was these differing interpretations. One seems to be more of kind of the common people. The, the Pharisees were like the blue-collar Christianity. And, and so we, we march into this and, and have some compassion on the Pharisees. 
you know, for who they were. And yet, do you remember this song? Um, some of you may never remember. Only the old people. Good love and gone bad. Come, come on, let's see. How many old people here? Yeah, there it is. <clears throat> yeah, they started out good, but somehow their good loving went bad, right? Somehow the, the, the good stuff that they had denigrated into just rule-keeping, right? They, they went from a loving relationship into rule-keeping, and it had gone bad. And it says that he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Now, we don't get this, and I wonder how this dropped off, like, how we eat. But I think it's really cool how they ate in those days, where they were on one elbow, probably their left elbow, and they ate with their right hand. Your face was probably closer to the table, pillows. Maybe you were up on some kind of platform. I think we should try it sometime, like an old school eating. All the people are like, no, no, you know. <clears throat> but here they are reclining. Because can I say, when I was a kid and I, and I heard these stories about Jesus' feet being washed, I thought some woman had to climb under the table right with the togas and everything and now she's like under there like you were like in kindergarten when you climbed around under the tables you know and, and here she is you know with the bowl or whatever you know like and no it was easy to feet had easy access right i mean it was just the the way it is and so here she is she comes in and can you imagine like her motivation have you ever been around somebody who you feel is better than you do you just naturally get shame sometimes? Like you just can't measure up, right? And yet here, this woman is. Jesus is ultimately better than her, but she isn't repulsed or ashamed, but she's pulled to him. I mean, the Pharisee had to be pulled to him in one way or another because he invited him over to dinner, but he was pulled with an arm's length. And she's, she is so drawn to him, she's, she's kissing his feet, and wiping them, and she's got her hair down. And I think it was an awkward moment, right? Do you ever have your feet washed by anybody? It's, yeah, you're like pedicures, one a month, right? You know, but, but there's something, you know, there's something to that, isn't there? It's kind of intimate. It's, it's close. And here this woman comes up, and she's weeping and washing his feet. And when I was in India, we would enter a town... And the ladies, they, like, they would line up the villagers, and they had somebody with like a, a pitcher and somebody with a basin, and then an, a third person would soap and wash your hands. And it was awkward, and it was cool, all wrapped up in one. I mean, you're, you're like here, and you just stood there, and this woman, this young woman, typically washed your hands. You're like, wow, this, is, this feels special and welcoming, and awkward, and I don't know these people, right? But it was, this is this awkward, beautiful, holy moment that is going on here, and the Pharisee sees it, and, <clears throat> and Jesus knows what he's thinking. That's what I love this, you know, he, he thinks to himself, he says to him, he's not, I don't think he's speaking up, hey, if Jesus knew who it was, you know, he's, he's thinking this, and Jesus' parable comes as a response to the Pharisee's heart. Jesus knows what you're thinking right now too, by the way. You know, he like he's, he's in touch with what's going on. And, and uh, the scripture goes on, and Jesus answers him, Simon, 
He answers his unspoken thought. I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Now, Jim and I were talking after the service, and he goes, you know, if the guy went into slavery, which was common in those days, he could repay his debt, but she couldn't. And I thought, yeah, but this isn't what Jesus is saying. Both of them can never pay the debt, right? It's a debt that's unpayable by both of them. And, and, and he graciously said, don't worry about it. Which one will love him more? And of course, the guy says to him, well, he answers, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. I mean, this is like beautiful. And he's also saying, why didn't you do the standard customs? You know why? Because this guy might be unclean. I don't want any of my servants to touch this guy who might be unclean, right? For this reason, I say to her, you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. And he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Uh, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to the, themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so the parable, of course, it's beautiful because Jesus does not always explain the parables. Haven't you ever read some of them and just scratch your head? Yes, but this one, we get the parable and the explanation, a good starter for us. And it's got three people, and we know who the people are, right? The money lender is Jesus. Don't you love these caricatures? The, and, and then you have also the one who owes a lot, the sinner, the one who owes a little, the righteous man. And, and the first thing you want to ask yourself in any parable is, what does this say about Jesus? So many times we want to rush to, what does it say about me? But when Jesus tells the parable, he's, he's opening the door into the kingdom. He's opening the door to himself. So I had to ask myself, and I'll ask you, when you hear this, when you hear about the two debtors who are unable to repay, what does it say about kingdom values? What does it say? I think it says that we're, we're all level. The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This righteous guy, he's got like, well, closer to heaven, farther from heaven, whatever. And Jesus, who's getting into the kingdom first? Whose sins are forgiven? The one that you would deem the farthest away from heaven. There's a song by the Lost Dogs. I'm not going to play the whole song. But I, I, I like it. But it also, sometimes when you go through a list of the people that Jesus died for and that he loves if you actually listen to the whole song, there's got to be at least one or two of these that just make you cringe. Listen up. Oh, 
scriptures say God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And Paul writes, not many of you were noble, not many of you were, were of high birth, but God chose the foolish things. And the gospel goes out to everybody. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, it's not the way that the Pharisees are thinking. I, I remember being at a prayer rally in uh, Cleveland. I think my brother was praying. We, Dwight and I sometimes would pray at these. They'd ask us to pray like up front together. And I think it was because there were twin pastors and it was cute, you know. Um, <clears throat> but this was a really wonderful rally. And there's just times where, man, somebody's worshiping. And as you get close, there's the sense of the spirit of God just being lifted up. And and I'm at this rally, and I'm worshiping, and I look over, and there's this group of protesters. Like, who protests a prayer rally? And they were free, I forget, they were atheists, but, you know, it's like, I, my life is fine without God, and, you know, all these different signs, and they didn't like that there was a prayer rally in public or something. And, and I thought, you know, I, some of the Christians aren't being so nice to those people. So I um, covertly went over and just kind of hung out with them. And started talking to him. And so, what do you think about these guys here? You know, like, uh, and, uh, and, and start, you know, just getting to know them. Tell me what you're about. Some of them, they had like little newspapers and magazines and websites and things. And it was fun to, to talk to them and get to know them. And then they turned and, and I had to come out as a pastor. And, uh, <clears throat> and, it, and it, was, it was fun. And the Lord gave me an opportunity actually to effortlessly share the gospel. And, and they were really open, and they're like, hey, can I put your picture, like a selfie in, in our newsletter? I'm like, yes. Can I share your picture in church? Yeah, you know, like, like we, we connected, and I thought, man, here we are praying and everything, but Jesus loves these sheep right here. And I'm no better than any of the other people. It was just, I believe God put the thought in my head and had me hang out, you know, with them, and because... Who did Jesus come for? Us. Like while we were yet sinners, he died. He, he took his enemies and he made us his, his friends. And this, this kingdom value just levels the whole playing field. And then you have this other picture, Sue. We see a little more about Jesus and his value. Then we see this woman who is sold out. Like she's reckless. She doesn't give a rip that the Pharisee's judging her. She doesn't, like she's abandoned herself right? Without restraint, passion, like weeping. I think she had ugly face. You know when you can't really control your tears and you look ugly? You know what I'm talking about. The ugly crying, right? She's got the ugly crying going on and her tears are just pouring out and she's kissing his feet and she's one of those women, you know, and I think we can learn a lot from somebody like that. I remember early on in my relationship with Christ, you know, having to make the decision many times. It still happens to this day. You know, if I speak up now, they're going to think I'm a, an idiot because they're going to know I'm a Christian, right? And I have to abandon my reputation and just put on Christ and trust him with the, the, the rest. I, there's something beautiful about this holy abandonment, sold outness that this lady brings to the table. And I, and I couldn't help but think that many times we start out like that woman at the feet of Jesus, and yet we move away from that, right? I mean, why would uh, Jesus in the book of Revelation say something like, hey, I've got all this good stuff, but 
I got one thing to say to you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. I think it's uh, John Newton who said, the, the mature Christian is a contemplative life because we're thinking into ourselves the truth of God and working it back down into our hearts, right? We're working this wonderful grace of God daily back down into our hearts. If you are happy at work or if you're happy in your marriage, you are regularly taking thoughts about, look at this good thing, look at this blessing, look at this wonderful thing. Like you're constantly feeding your mind on good thoughts, right? Because where does your mind go if you don't? Yeah, you, you, we, we tend to denigrate. We tend to start out like the woman at Jesus' feet, and then we end up a Pharisee. We end up being kind of religious. I saw this thing uh, uh, that's kind of gone viral from oh, one, of the, one of those shows, like American Idol, but I don't think it is, it's that, but with the Simon guy, he's there. And, uh, and this gal gets up, and they start like interviewing her, and she's pencil thin, and she's got this beautiful smile, and she's going to sing a song that she wrote, and it's called I'm Okay. And as they're talking to her, she's like, yeah, I, I have cancer. He goes, so you're not okay? Well, I'm okay with not being okay. And it's like cancer in her spine, cancer in this, cancer in that. She's got like a 2% chance of living. And she sings this beautiful song, and she says to them, you can't wait for your circumstances to be good till you choose to be happy right? You see, I think the people who are, um, we naturally have this denigration that moves us away from Jesus into Phariseeism, but we as Christians have to learn how to work on our hearts. Henry Nouwen said this, he said, the Pharisee is obedient and dutiful, law-abiding, hard-working. Who doesn't want to be that, right? People respect him, admire him, praise him, likely consider him a model for others, Right? Who, I mean, who doesn't want to be a Pharisee? Outwardly, he was faultless. But there's so much judgment, condemnation, and prejudice in him. See the difference? Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. And, and, and he said um, there's judgment, condemnation in him. There's so much frozen anger among the people who are so concerned about avoiding sin. Maybe it's why Luther said, sin boldly, but believe and rejoice more boldly. And he goes on and talks about his life. He says, I know in my own life how diligently I've tried to be good and acceptable, likable, worthy example for others. There was always a conscious effort to avoid the pitfalls of sin, the constant fear of giving in to temptation. But with that, all, all of that, there came a seriousness, a moralistic intensity, even a touch of fanaticism. I became less free, less spontaneous, less playful, and others came to see me more and more as somewhat of a heavy person. I think that's the natural slide for us. We move from love into rule-keeping. We, you know, we move from this beautiful relationship. And I think the more you grow, the more you, you work on your heart. And you, you learn to turn the thing around. The scripture goes on. He says, your sin has been forgiven. Now, those reclining at the table said to themselves, who's this guy who can forgive sins? Like, what, what is it? What, you know, what, how can he say that? You know, when I was in junior high, 
we went on vacation. And you know, I always have my twin brother, but my older brother, he didn't have like a buddy. So my parents are like, hey, bring a friend. So he invites a friend on vacation, and we had a great time. I think we went to Rehoboth Beach, and it was just a, it was a, a great time you know, on vacation with our Dan's friend. And, and then the next year, I think we took our van and went across the country. or did, I can't remember, but we did another vacation, and it didn't include Dan's friend. He might have been kind of hurt. And while we were on vacation, he went and vandalized and stole from our house with this friend so he could buy drugs. And, um, and, you know, what if our neighbor went up to the guy who did it and said, listen, you're forgiven? I'd be like, dude, you can't forgive him. He didn't sin against you. He sinned against me. It's our family that has to forgive him, not you. And this is exactly what they're thinking. They're like, Jesus, you don't have the authority. They didn't sin against you. They sinned against God. Yeah, but you know, all sin, there's, there's, like, there's, there's an absorbing. The one who forgives always has to, to take it into them. You know, if you're in a fight with your spouse, the one who gets the last word, right? But, well, both of you, if it's gone, if it's escalated enough, you have to absorb the pain. There's no other way. Your natural inclination is, I will hurt back I will control, I will, you know, whatever, however you're, you want to hurt back. But to forgive is to absorb. And here Jesus, who's going to absorb the sins of the world into his own being, he's going to be the lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world, is speaking powerful words. Now, the religious dude, he can't, he can't get that forgiveness either. He owes so much, he just doesn't see it. And so Jesus says to her, you're forgiven. And frankly, if you come in today and you've got heavy burdens on your heart, if you're saying, could God even forgive me? The reality is yes. Yeah. If you were on that list or if you listen to the song, we're all on that list in one way or another. And Jesus comes and says, be my friend and, and I wash you of your sins and I forgive you. And it helps me to think of Jesus coming to me just like that woman came to Jesus, right? He ran to the cross indiscriminately, didn't he? He ran to the cross without regard for his own life, without regard, like, like he embraced the cross like the woman embraced his feet. And when I see Jesus loving me like that, it changes me from the inside out. There's a Christian singer named Larry Norman, he is laying on his deathbed. And his view of God is remarkable. I feel like a prize in a box of Cracker Jacks. Okay, if you're young, Cracker Jacks actually used to have prizes in them that were better than like a little sticker or something. And you wanted the prize probably more than those bad-tasting caramel corn. Um, and so uh, Larry's an old guy who's dead now, and he said, I feel like a prize in the box of crack, in a Cracker Jack box with God's hand reaching down to pick me up. I've been under medical care for months. My wounds are getting bigger. I have trouble breathing. I'm ready to fly home. And there's this beautiful thing where he's got this picture of a God who loves him so much that death is his hand reaching down for the prize. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you 
for all the goodness and all the grace. Lord, forgive us as a church when we don't embrace others as indiscriminately as you embrace us. Give us that wonderful mixture, Lord, of passionate, crazy love for you and a crazy love for others. Jesus, we know it only comes by your spirit and your word living in us, so have your way, and we'll say thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.